This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 115, where we are talking about season one, episode three of The Defenders. You think I'm holding back? Welcome back, Defenders, to episode 115 of Defenders TV Podcast, and we are on episode 3 of season 1 of The Defenders. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. And rounding out the group, I'm Chris. Yep, welcome back, everyone. We're um, getting into our episodes now, and we hope you are too. Uh, This is turning out really, really cool, and of course, the quartet come together for the first time in this episode, which is fantastic oh my goodness it was like squeals of joy tears just everything it was pretty cool really cool we've said two and a half years we've been waiting for uh for the defenders tv show two and a half years we've really been waiting for the moment that happens in this episode yeah definitely and of course um i did like uh alexandra just dissing iron fist as well (laughs) <laughs> she's a cool cookie cool cool lady um but I, obviously before we go any further this is our spoiler filled discussion about episode three of the defenders if you're not here yet if you downloaded this one by mistake after you listened to defenders season one episode one um stop here go back to episode one listen to that one and watch the rest of the episodes by my calculations as this episode comes out on monday most of our listeners will have watched all of the episodes by now as we're releasing this episode. Most of them seem to watch about seven episodes when a new show comes out. There's only eight episodes in this season, so most people will have listened, to, will have watched the full show. But we're not going to spoil ahead. We're only going to spoil things that have happened up to episode three. Absolutely. Um, but if you want to listen to our drip feed, spoiler-filled uh, podcast, please go over and subscribe at defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes for Apple Podcasts or any other good or dastardly podcast catcher. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. And of course, please get in contact, share your thoughts, comments, or any of your views on this first season of Defenders of any of the episodes. You can go and join our Facebook group over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV Podcasts. And of course, we are also on Twitter at DefendersCast. And I would also ask you that any of our good listeners who, if you like this show, don't forget to rate it, review it, tell your friends, tell your grannies. I'm going a lot about telling people to tell their grannies. I don't know why, but I think grannies will like this show. Mm -hmm. Potentially grandpas, your niece, your nephew, anyone. Uh, Spread the word. Um, Obviously, the more people who know about us, the more listeners we get. And the more listeners we get the more people you have to talk to in the group. So, yes, spread the word and tell everyone. If you want to send us any kind of feedback in, if you send us a voicemail over on our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com or an email to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com, you will be entered into our Defenders competition. We'll pull out the winner on the last episode of the show uh, with lots of Defenders-related prizes. Yes. Hmm. I think we have to give them some little snippet. At least we will be providing um, the current issues so far of the defenders comic series Mm -hmm. yeah they're really good too 
Yeah, really cool. And of course, there will be more prizes too, but we will keep you posted. But I think with that, we should hoover on to the episodes. And um, given that we get our foursome mm. going here, uh, that we've been waiting for two and a half years. Uh, Derek, give us some of the episode details, will you? <laughs> I'm still wondering why we're hoovering on. Anyway, this episode was again written by Lauren Smith-Hisrich. Uh, she is joined this time by Douglas Petrie. He wrote the first episode and uh, took a break for the second episode for Marco Ramirez to come back on board. Uh, but yes, we've mentioned everything that Lauren was involved in in the previous shows on the last episode, so I'm not going to repeat them here. Uh, the director for this episode was Peter Hoare. Um, he did three episodes of Daredevil Season 2, did uh, Cold Day in Hell's Kitchen, The Man in the Box, and Penny and Dime. Excellent episodes. And Chris, I think he directed one of your favourite episodes of Iron Fist, Black Tiger's Steel's heart as well. Yes, it was a great episode, and uh, I'm happy to see. And he did some amazing things in this episode, so um, I can't wait to talk more about that in a bit. Absolutely, John. Do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode? Sure. Alexandra recounts the resurrection and training of Electra, the Black Sky, as she prepares her weapon for the coming conflict against the Iron Fist and the mystical power of Kunlun. Elsewhere, Luke Cage tends to his tender jaw after his run-in with the Iron Fist. But as Clark Temple discovers who threw the punch, she suggests that Luke meets with Danny Rand, pointing out that he could help him. At Colin Wing's dojo, the tentative meeting leads to stories of dragons, a mystical city, and the hand. But things break down and the unbreakable skin from Harlem and the privileged, chi-powered hand go their separate ways to the frustration of Claire and Colleen. At the New York Police Department precinct, Jessica Jones is released from Misty Knight's custody and is determined to lose her new, weird, and slightly annoying attorney. But Matt Murdock is harder to shake as he follows her, knowing that she is a superpowered individual and trouble. However, the wily Jessica turns the tables to discover the special parkour abilities of her blind lawyer. As Jessica, Danny, Matt and Luke follow their own leads, one common denominator focuses them on the offices of Midland Circle Financial. Danny, using the clout of Rand Enterprises, gets to meet with the board and is confronted by Alexandra, who, unfazed by his threats, aims to take the Iron Fist alive. As he battles to save himself from capture, Jessica, Matt and Luke converge on the boardroom and join Danny to fight the hand, just as Alexandra unleashes her ultimate weapon against the newly formed quartet. Defend. It's so nice hearing in your, in your synopsis the four people mentioned together in one line, Jessica, Matt, Danny and Luke, as they join each other in this episode. This is the big one, really. This is the one that everybody's been waiting for, seeing these four characters side by side. And of course, it ends with that ten that tantalizing moment as they all get in the lift together to go off and have a chat. Um, yeah, and a Chinese. And a Chinese. Maybe, but let's not spoil any future episodes. Let's talk about episode three, as we normally do with our top five points about the episode. As the Defender stories are starting to come to come together, we're kind of gonna go back to our normal top five uh, structure uh, where we're talking about the biggest five moments that stood out to us from the episode um chris do you want to take our first one alexandra welcoming electra the black sky to the world yeah sure well first of all this we get sometimes the overused trope of three months earlier it's used in a good way here because this is the backstory of electra this is the the rebirth if you will of the the electra as we know her we now understand why 
or sorry, as we used to know her or now do not, because she is no longer the person or we were introduced to in Daredevil season two, mm-hmm. which I find really interesting now. So it's, she's completely, uh, she has no memory of the her previous life from what we can gather. Yeah. Um, she is now a hell of a lot more deadly. And um, now they have to train her as this, as a newborn almost. And I, I love the, the imagery. So when she falls out of the urn, she was um, completely bathed in blood and ichor, yeah. if you will. It yeah. was blood, but it was supposed to be like, look, like, as an almost a newborn would be. Yeah. And she couldn't walk. And Alexandra's kind of like, well, I don't know, I can't, line for line, I can't remember, but it was very much along the welcome child, uh, I will look after you, etc. Things will get easier. Mm-hmm. We get that fantastic scene where you have Electra looking at the the side, the three pronged weapon that she's most well known for in the comic books as well as in season two of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. But then she now to kind of show that she is no longer the same person anymore. She takes on these Wakasashi twin swords. That is one sword, and then it's kind of slides together or slide unlock almost. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. very like cool. They're, um, but we get that beautiful scene of her. I, the, the one I really liked was she was training with all the, the, the practice weapons. And then you have Alexandra. She's ready. And there's like basically, I think it was like 10 hand ninjas appear from pretty much nowhere. The lights go off. You hear noise and you fully expect her to be beaten to a degree. Yeah. But then there she is standing in with blood dripping down or with all the, the, the members of these hand ninjas dead. Yeah. Um, but I loved it. I loved this rebirth kind of situation. What do you guys think? I loved how those scenes escalated as well. Yeah. It started out with one guy up against her and then uh, and then a couple and then some more. And then, yeah, as you say, the lights go out and, and she kills the uh, the training ninjas. I'm wondering, are these the ninjas that we saw in Daredevil Season 2? The, the they ones... looked much like them, definitely. Yeah, like, the yeah. ones that the hand can bring back to life, effectively. Are these the uh, the kind of people that are thrown into to these types of situations so they don't just kill? you know the guys in training which yeah. would be pretty bad well, that would be a pretty bad day at the office oh, if um yeah <laughs> you kind of oh i wasn't expecting this right. <laughs> <laughs> i'm up against this ultimate weapon mm. um yeah no this was really cool um and i love the fact when she came out of that the blood it kind of reminded me of watery marmite or something like that um that she she was screaming it was kind of very primeval and yeah. i loved how alexandra kind of goes to her and she comforts her to a, to an extent and as you say chris like talks about things will get better um another piece of confirmation in this episode as well about alexandra really it sounds like she is an ancient again um she does mention yeah. that that uh, she calls it constantinople again instead of istanbul um all that was in my head was the the uh, They Might Be Giants song. Yeah, that's yeah. all that was in my head. Istanbul, Constantinople, <laughs> Constantinople. That's exactly what was going through my mind when I watched mm. it. Now, I can't carry a tune for the life of me, but that was pretty much what was going through my head. I think you've just ruined that scene for me because now that's all I've got going on in my head. But um, yeah, I I actually really enjoyed the, the opening where she's sat there and the the chef comes out with the dish from ancient Constantinople, um, not Istanbul. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I love the idea that it really confirms her her sort of ancientness, really, because yeah. it just adds loads of power to me. It's kind of almost like 
Dracula to an extent, this ancient uh, force that mm-hmm. is kind of unleashed on, on the world, but at the same time sort of reserved as well. Like, I, I thought that was really cool. And we get to see uh, the White Hat as well being yes. um, quite prominent next to her side, at least saying, um, you know, this is going to use up all our resources. Um, so, yeah, this opening, I think, was was superb. It was about 15 minutes long as well. Yeah. Yeah. A good, a good proportion of the episode, definitely. Uh, it also confirms something we were talking about in episode one. Uh, we were talking about in our first episode podcast about uh, about why, I suppose we were wondering why she doesn't just go and resurrect herself. We find out here that Alexandra has resurrected herself on multiple occasions as well. So, um, so she says to Electra that uh, that darkness that enraptures you after you die, I've seen that many times. Um, so she has confirmed that she has gone through this experience that Electra yeah. has gone through. I, I didn't take it as that. I took it that she she's experienced it in that, that she's seen this black rapture that Electra is experiencing. So she's ushered multiple people out from the, 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 the urn. She's retaught them everything. I took it as being so like Nobu. I took mm. it as uh, the, the, these other warriors who we know have died and come back. I took it that she's maybe in control of this process and she's the one who brings them back into the, the ushers them back into the hand as these retrained new newly reborn warriors. Well, I think she's kind of saying that with me and you working together, we'll never have to experience that again, is what she says to, to Electra. So I think she is saying that she's seen it herself. Um, could be open to interpretation, but I think she's kind of saying, I've gone through it multiple times. I want to make sure I live forever, not die and come back. Is kind of the, uh, it seems to be, for, for me, that just seems to be the, the conversation. So that was the thing that you guys were talking about in, in episode one anyway, as to why she wouldn't go through the process yeah. Um, yeah. like Harold Meacham did. Um, so it may be just that her body is breaking down because it's been alive so long. Yeah, I mean, because she does say, I never want to go through that again. So it feels like she's been through it. Um, maybe not in that urn as such. Maybe for like Nobu, whether they go into such a ceremonial urn, who knows? But yeah, Maybe um, that's just reserved for the Black Sky. But it's yeah. great. I, I just thought it was a really good treatment of, of the two of them. Even just sort of sat opposite, sort of having... Was she having breakfast or something like that? Gave us some food, and you could sense uh, from Sigourney Weaver this anticipation that she has for um, Electra as the Black Sky. So it was really cool. Yeah, we go on to point number two. I, I think we shall. So point number two, we have, I guess, our fifth defender, or I, almost the instructor for our defenders, uh, is seen here. Stick is being held hostage by Alexandra. Um, interesting, after the battle at the end of Daredevil Season 2, we actually haven't seen Stick uh, in any of the other shows. So quite interesting to see him here uh, in, under the capture of Alexandra. Um, yeah, but he does make a quite a big sacrifice to, uh, to get out from, from Alexandra's prison. Yeah, he leaves the hand a hand. Nice, yeah. nice, yes. Um, and, I mean, he was there in Episode 2, right at the end, where mm-hmm. Alexandra calls him an old friend so again there's still a little bit of intrigue there as to whether alexandra is someone who used to be with the cast or with con lun Mm -hmm. um 
and has kind of gone to the dark side of, of the Marvel Force, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, I like this. I like how um, she treats him. And we also see um, Electra being called in by the White Hat as well to um, give Stick his comeuppance in, in that sense. Well, yeah, after all the training that, uh, that Electra did with Stick, maybe somewhere in the back of her mind she's kind of going, it's time for payback. <laughs> but no, it's, it does, it is confirmed by Alexander that she's, uh, that she's been twisted. One of his friends, one of his weapons has now been twisted to the hand. So, uh, gonna be interesting to see how that plays out, but always cool to see, uh, to see Stick in there. Interesting that he knows all about Iron Fist. Um, he didn't really mention him in, uh, in anything on, on Daredevil. So interesting to hear that kind of backstory with him. And he's now gone to Colleen's dojo. Yeah, he turns up the, right at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, whilst the others are at uh, the skyscraper. Yeah. yeah. Battling the boardroom. Yeah. I, I the more the more I see the characters stick, the more I'm reminded of Splinter now mm-hmm. from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Absolutely. I know there probably was an element where that was supposed to be like him, or he Absolutely. was supposed to be. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's who. That's who Splinter's based on. Yeah. He's this grizzled, foul-mouthed uh, uh, ancient splinter or master splinter to me. Mm-hmm. In terms of what we saw here with with Stick, and it just it, it brought up more questions for me now, kind of. And I know exactly this is what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I know most likely, if trailers are kind of to be believed, we'll probably get he'll we'll get some big exposition scene in the next episode now once he kind of has steady stumbled into colleen's dojo absolutely yeah and maybe even in the chinese restaurant i'm sure he's in the chinese restaurant possibly anyway let's talk about another great scene that's happened in the dojo Mm -hmm. i can't be happier we finally got our heroes for hire together in one one scene in one place and Boy, it was great, and then oh, so awkward. It was, yeah. oh. it was really, really good. I'd love this kind of setup with um, with Luke, kind of his face ringing from that uh, from that clashing blow that came from Iron Fist in, in episode two, uh, sitting at home rubbing his face. Something that Claire has never seen really is him actually hurt. Um, by by uh, especially something like a punch, you know. Um, I love that moment when Claire realizes that he's talking about Danny, you know. Yeah. Um, maybe she should have forewarned him that there was a guy in the city that could uh, that can crack a wall open. Um, just watch out if you see a light appearing on someone's fist. Uh, don't don't allow him to hit you. But it's it's only when he talks about going following that van. And does he mention the hand? I think yeah. he does. It's that, and then with the 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 obviously the glowing fist yeah. that she she clocks it. But um, I would say even if he had just mentioned the hand and hadn't had that meeting uh, in episode two with Danny, that she would go, "Oh, I know two people. They've been hunting them down and killing them." Yeah, where yeah. possible. <laughs> But yeah, no, I I love this this meetup. It felt completely right. It was awkward. It was tentative. I mean, Luke Cage really was kind of like, in the end, 
he kind of just didn't want to be there. He felt he was being forced, you, and because it, it goes against his view of him wanting to kind of be a loner almost on the streets of Harlem, fighting, um, you know, for for his community. And all of a sudden, he really is being taken out of his comfort zone because mm-hmm. there's this bigger concept and bigger threat for him that he has to now confront, which is the hand. And all of a sudden, he's not the only one that that's taking it down. And I like that it's really portrayed here by luke cage in, in this scene you know yeah that this intensiveness this you know a fish out of water kind of feel and i mean he starts to get into it uh really because you know he's hearing all this crazy stuff from danny which i i really like he respects him as a fighter you mm-hmm. know uh after meeting up and 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 dueling with him essentially but um i think what is really good is I mean, to an extent, he he addresses the elephant in the room that people have said about this defender um, in terms of Danny, that he comes from a privileged background compared to the others. Um, But that doesn't mean you don't necessarily hook up with him. But in this case, that's still something that Luke has to... Uh, get to grips with, come to terms with whatever you want and feel comfortable uh, with Danny Rand and accept him for the person that he is uh, and see beyond his background in that sense. Yeah, I do like the fact that he didn't come in with an attitude towards Danny. We hear that Claire told him all about him being a billionaire on the way over and told him his story, uh, the basics of it without the dragon uh, on the way over to the meetup. Um, but he seems like Luke seems like he went in with uh, the attitude of, you know, I'll be open. I'll hear what this guy has to say. He's another powered individual. He seems to be some form of hero. And then as Danny reveals effectively that he will go after anybody that's connected with the hand, regardless of what level they're at. Um, you know, if they're taking out the, the garbage from the building that the hand are in, well, they're working for the hand. So Danny's going to go up against them. This is why I feel Luke really does win the argument here. Where Definitely. He's, where he's. He doesn't seem to be seems to be pretty blind to the fact that there are people who will who will do things that are a little bit shady, um, but they're not bad people. It seems like Luke kind of gets gets this from Danny. Yeah, and he hammers that home uh, to the point where Danny does start to think about how he can confront the hand in a way where he isn't just swatting flies that mm-hmm. actually the hierarchy uh, of the hand really don't care too much for i mean it, it's almost it's why they're using the street kids and um, for various sort of activities to hide uh, what they're doing so yeah. and maybe that also explains why we've not seen these more kind of uh, elaborate uh, hand ninjas like we saw at the end of season uh, two are of Daredevil, yeah. and we've only seen them now. Is that you know these are their sort of um, absolutely top-notch fighters, and otherwise they will use other people to hide their their true goals. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I like the way that as well. Danny goes back and thinks uh, uh, on Luke's sort of critique of yeah. him, really, and, and his argument um, that he puts puts there. But I, I think that whole thing is really cool just yeah. that interaction in the dojo definitely yeah i like that it starts out funny and kind of escalates into a very yeah. serious conversation there's obviously big parallels here with uh, with the war on drugs in the u.s particularly and around the world where you know people are always taking out the local drug dealer the people on the side of the street who are selling drugs to the local people in the area and really it's the people that are owning and making all the money off the drug trade that should be taken down they're the people that are most responsible for it if they were gone 
Well, you can't get drugs from anywhere. Obviously, you know, uh, you don't ha- you don't arrest the user. You uh, you arrest the people that are breaking the law to the biggest extent. So uh, it's a really good conversation and, and cool to have it in here between these two characters. Great that we got a bit of funny moments with them as well, but cool that we had that uh, had that bigger scene in there as well. This scene made me uncomfortable at the end, uh-huh. and I wasn't expecting it from the showrunner, from the writers, and the director. Like I, the the humor we got was fantastic, and then the the slow change of Luke's demeanor and the topic of being white privilege mm-hmm. and stuff like that, it made me it made me uncomfortable for the character that is Danny Rand. So Luke Cage was a critique, a, a commentary on uh, on racism in the U.S. As of right now, mm-hmm. people don't initially think when they think the defenders, they do not think that there will be this topic underlying in there, this storyline about a white privileged, or I should say a privileged white man um, having to reassess his strengths and his uh, action plan, his thoughts on society, etc. Such as like the kind of you can't going around slamming black kids against walls, etc. That made me uncomfortable. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Oh, it's a good thing. Yeah. It was just it yeah, it brought out something that like, okay, well, this is like that's what good TV, that's what good stories should do to you. Yeah. It should make you think. It should make you uncomfortable. Hey, look, did I want eight episodes of just the last five minutes? That would have been great, but it wouldn't have been amazing. What this storyline here where we have the heroes for hire two men of completely different backgrounds Absolutely. two men of completely different ethnicities but like it's two two men of different worlds completely on every yeah. sense of the word coming together becoming heroes for hire i know absolutely i completely agree i think for them to have just sort of hit it off straight off the bat would have been strange because they are from completely different walks of life mm-hmm. that's not to say that they don't ultimately once they kind of overcome their own prejudices uh, as to um how they may view the other in, in terms of the story or just sort of getting used to someone and, and becoming their friend i mean like i i think this is really good because it would it fits with ultimately with a lot of the other aspects of, of this show, which shows that actually life is difficult, even if you're a superpowered hero, and things are have a normalcy to them as well when you're a superhero, yeah, um, or superpowered, or ha- have gone through experiments. So, that could pretty much be the tagline for the Defenders series yes. on Netflix. So, like, this makes sense to me that. Luke and Danny would be checking one another out, scoping one another out, and then ultimately uh, Luke just thinks that Danny's view is actually possibly quite a narrow view of what he should be doing. Yeah. Um, and he he puts that across to, to Danny, and Danny, in fairness, then thinks about it later on. I think that makes it really feel kind of natural, and it's not that they're just suddenly um, the defenders. Yes. Yeah, that there's suddenly not a bromance, and they're yeah. not necessarily doing heroes for hire because they're becoming the defenders, and the the defenders will take time to to gel. They've okay. only just met, and they yeah. still, you know, d- will not be thinking of themselves as this 
this grouping. Mm-hmm. The super friends. <laughs> and more importantly for me, this makes it feel like a Luke Cage show as well. It doesn't make it feel like Luke Cage has walked into the Defenders show written by somebody else yes. who wasn't, who didn't pay attention to the Luke Cage show. I think we all felt cha- challenged um, talking about all 13 episodes of Luke Cage because there is some really challenging topics in there. So I'm really glad they brought in one of them into this yeah. show for Luke Cage to have that have a moment where he does obviously respond in a completely different way to a situation than Danny does. And he should because he's a different character. He's not just a superhero that's bulletproof. He's someone that comes with all of those experiences after going to prison for a thing he didn't do um, or was treated really badly for things he didn't do or things that he uh, should have been let off for and has been let off for now. That's something that never would have happened to Danny because he's surrounded by lawyers. He's surrounded by money. He never would have ended off in prison. He would have been able to get the file of all the things that got Luke Cage off he would have been able to get it in front of a judge way before having to spend three four months in prison I think as well what Luke says actually does have a broadness to it I mean in a sense that Mm. it could it could alternatively be applied to some rich white guys slamming some poor white guy against a wall or some rich black guy slamming some poor black kid against the wall like I mean what I mean is it could apply to race, like he's saying here, yeah. but also to privilege. class and privilege yeah. or to male or female or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, it's from his perspective, though. So it, it's a really interesting um, aspect crossing over from Luke Cage, the series, I think. Absolutely. And importantly, as you say, John, just to stress what's really good about this is Danny does take the criticism on board and reevaluates yeah. who he is. Um, that's that's probably the biggest thing. So they will become stronger friends. They will they, they will get into hopefully closer situations as the, se- as the season goes on, as they become the defenders and hopefully into Heroes for Hire. But if Danny hadn't taken it on and had fought back, against Luke for this, it would have made him a much worse character. The fact that he takes yes. it on board and knows that he is, yeah, okay, someone's pointed out something that I am doing wrong. Maybe I need to think better about myself and work harder. It shows the youth of the character and uh, how much development he does need. Yeah. Now, the one thing I did want to put in here is dollar for dollar, I am betting some critics will put this down, this fight, this this point down to the perceived shortcomings or criticisms, John, as you said, of Iron Fist. Mm. I bet you some people will go, hey, this whole scene, this whole thing about calling out Danny Rand is all because of the stuff that we said about Iron Fist and they just want to get... It's not. And I, I really want to stress that. Like, this is about the character's development. Like, now it's things are starting to click into place. Why you see Danny was... The younger he is, the younger child, the more optimistic uh, superhero who think he can do everything by himself, and mm-hmm. he's learning. Be it through Luke, through Jessica, through Matt, we'll see that growth of a character. And actually, now with some of even my criticisms of Iron Fist, I am starting to see. Okay, now I know see why this will pay off in this series. Mm-hmm. But I think that's one thing. I don't think, and a dollar for dollar, I'm betting that some critics will call this out. And I, I just. All of our listeners, and I know you're listening to us, so you probably want that more in-depth rather than two pages of clickbaity articles. You're listening to us for the in-depth. We thank you for that because I think the writers and the producers and the showrunners, the people who actually care about these projects and these shows as much as we do as fans, that's what they want. These, This is who is targeted and who they are targeting for 
these shows. Obviously, it's a wider generalization that they want to all audience. They would, if they could get the the levels of viewers that a House of Cards, potentially they may. Who knows? But anyway, I think to kind of wrap up this point, he, at the the last line is, "I know privilege," and that's privilege about anything. It's not a race. It's not a gender. It's just the word privilege. And also, I really want this cut down to be the bit that does bring them together. I do want by the end of episode eight that even the, the, the embers of this budding bromance, this, this duo to be there. I'm hoping that this is that kind of scathing moment. And the fact that Danny has taken the information on board and the criticism that will get a line or two going, you were right. And that will click this. Okay. Or potentially he'll, Danny will say something that will make Luke, kind of reevaluate something and then that brings them together. I just want I'm really hoping that they do bring this the buddy cop element to them in a bit. Yeah, yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. I'm hoping there's not many critics who have taken this uh this in a different way. And if there is, f them. Yeah. <laughs> Swear Swear to up, man. <laughs> up to point four, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um investigating so basically they really all go their separate ways and so we see all four of the individual defenders sort of investigating their different leads of the hand from then these four different directions. Mm. And I thought this was was pretty good because, like we've just said, Danny goes after them through his business connections. He realizes he's got an entire corporation uh, there that he can utilize in, in, in this fight to go after those people at the top, you yeah. know, to, to just stop necessarily going after the the street level the people who do all the cleaning up the people that do all the the drug running and that but that they cut the head off the snake that's really cool i do absolutely love that he threatens to expose them but alexandra at the top of, of the boardroom really kind of just doesn't give a shit she really um is just kind of almost laughs in his face i actually also really uh enjoyed the moment where as she walks in behind him and you're kind of thinking uh, you know that could be a bit dangerous a bit precarious for danny that she puts her hand on his shoulder it's almost kind of slightly um like welcome to the fold almost mm. it's almost reassuring but we also hear from her that she's seen many iron fists before again another indication of her age but that in this in, at this time she wants him alive and she's going to let her boardroom go and attack him but she wants him alive. I thought that was a really nice little nod. But yeah, we have Danny going through his business connections and Luke going through the guy who was arrested, uh, Cole, in, in prison, who he learns about the hand. And then more importantly, learns about um, Midland Circle Financial from the, the lotto tickets in, in, in the tin that his mum has. Yeah. Um, where he sees a roll of, of bills with, with the Midland Circle sort of logo on it. And of course, you get that really intense scene with Cole's mother after she finds out that 
he has been killed in prison because Luke has gone to to speak to him. And I mean, that was just re- a really great scene in prison. And then the follow up with his with Cole's mom, because mm. like you can see Cole saying, I just can't tell you like they're watching me. They will know I'm in I'm in peril here. And um, but he just gives that real little bit of info about getting his mom a lotto ticket yeah yeah absolutely and yeah that is a harrowing scene as as uh, the realization comes that she's now lost all of her children and luke is there to to hold her and uh, and keep her safe if she, if he can and at least follow up on on cold so a nice little nice little moment there for luke and, and why he's now involved in in this investigation i suppose uh, jessica coming through the architect was another great wonderful <laughs> jessica moment where she's playing the airhead you the want airhead. a juice bar <laughs> exactly the airhead marcus and company executive probably um where she's talking about uh, and you know those uh, they know those ball chairs you know the inflatable ball chairs that most people think are, are horrible but i don't um <laughs> she's just on the edge of all of the things she absolutely hates i think uh, if she walked into any marketing company she would probably go in and, uh, and burst a lot of those uh, inflatable chairs <laughs> That's what gets her to Midland Circle Financials, going investigating through the architect who killed himself in, in her office. Um, and then Matt's obviously following her because he knows she's trouble and is another super-powered individual. He hasn't seen very many of those. So um, being put on to her by Foggy obviously has him following her. The fact that she escapes from him obviously probably drove him insane because that doesn't happen very often from Matt as well. But but not only did she escape him, she turned the tables on him and, and follows and he suddenly mm-hmm. gets that disconcerting kind of feeling that he is being followed himself and yeah Park calls it up the the side of the building i i love the fact that she just sees him uh, and like outside of the midland circle building she's like going what blind lawyer can has moves like that kind yeah. of thing you yeah. know yeah. And, i have photos yeah and he smashes a <laughs> a camera mm-hmm. he didn't even see it he just suddenly twisted the, like out of her hat out of her bag and smashes it i was like I the, the 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 my favorite part was Matt parkouring because of that little kind. You had that old style, like I didn't know what was happening when Jessica was kind of looking, and then you see Matt, and then Matt's being trailed, and then you see Jessica kind of walk around the corner. I was mm-hmm. like, because I was expecting someone to be trailing Matt, like I was gonna be, we were gonna get an Electra or a member of the Hand. Right. I was like, I I was expecting Nobu or something to be trailing Matt. He was trailing Jessica. Nobu ain't coming back, man. <laughs> but do you think she flew? No. She kind of ducked around a corner, flew over the building, landed behind, walked out the other way. I thought that no. was... Maybe... Or, she, or what, what, you're going to say she jumped for, for her to get behind him? No, no, no. I'd say she just uh, she just moved out of the way. I think she flew, Chris. Thank you. Thank she's, you. She's never flown in her life. It would be a real surprise if they did it in this And can I say, show. I knew the parkour... You would love that. That's yeah. why it's in the synopsis. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank um, you. I think it's time to get on to the fight, really, isn't it? We've we've built everybody. We've got all of the defenders at the front door. Um, we've got Danny in the boardroom. Absolutely. But can I just say one little thing before the fight, which I thought was hilarious, mm-hmm. was that as Matt steals Jessica's scarf and goes running up the stairs and over however many trolleys to get to the top of the building... And just as he gets to the corridor, the lift opens and there's Jessica walking out of the lift. I was like, you're a fine woman, absolutely. an absolute fine woman. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and just her little like put down. Did she say? I think it was like nice scarf. And she goes, it's yours. 
<laughs> I was like, yes, yes. Actually, now I'm saying that, oh, we need to double check, but I'm not sure if that was the actual bit from the what she says in the episode. And if it's not, it means they recorded two lines and used one for the trailers and one uh-huh. for the episode. We'll check. But either way, it was a great cutting, scathing comment back, <laughs> yeah. and it didn't even get a, elicit a giggle from me. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I did check it after we recorded, and what actually Jessica says is, you look like an asshole. Without the swear jar, obviously. And Daredevil replies with, it's your scarf. So yeah, really funny moment. But yeah, definitely different from the original trailer. Um, so we have Danny in the boardroom, as, as you've been talking about earlier on, John. Um, Danny in the boardroom facing off an entire <laughs> boardroom board yeah. of, uh, of hand ninjas. That was quite cool. Who knew the chief financial officer was so handy with a gun? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or a baton. It was yeah. the batons, wasn't it? But here we get our official Heroes for Hire team up. We have, um, as Danny's beating everyone around him, and that's some cool fight sequences, some really, really good fight sequences for, for Iron Fist. Very cool stuff. But as he's starting to get a little bit overwhelmed, in comes Luke Cage through the door. We have a classic moment when Luke turns to block the uh, block the guns um, that are firing now, and Danny puts his back up against him. So back I, to back yeah. and being blocked, all the bullets flying through the air, that's so cool. So I, cool to see it screen. I love that. I mean, to some extent, I know they, they weren't talking or anything, but I know, Chris, when you said that you, you really want them to be brought together, but that where he's sort of using uh, Luke Cage's frame to protect him from the machine gun bullets, I was whooping at that point. I thought mm-hmm. that yeah. was awesome. It's such a great scene. Yeah, really cool. Just that part, I had the Avengers music in my head because the camera did it almost like 360. And it was just like, where's Jess? I wanted Jessica and Luke just to take either other side and it would be just the four of them. They have to do that. It's an iconic shot from the Avengers with that music and it's just pan camera panning around them. Oh, please let them do some take on that later because we got two of them. Now you just add the other two and then I will be happy. My Mm -hmm. life is complete. With that one shot. Absolutely, yeah. But speaking of the, of the other two, as uh, as Danny and, La- and Luke break through the side wall of the boardroom, we have uh, we have Matt and Jessica joining them from uh, from their various ways up the stairs and up the lift. So cool to yeah. have these moments. Uh, like that, obviously, Luke knows exactly who Jessica is, and they just kind of say hi to each other. Matt asks about Luke, because obviously he doesn't know who he is, and then Jessica, in return, responds, um, who's who's Danny? Uh, none of them know each other. They kind of go uh, through the hallway, have the, that awesome fight moment where everybody's fighting hand guys left right and center very very cool yeah it was short and sweet but Mm -hmm. it it was really cool it was kind of just like really dynamic that with the most defenders in one hallway so far of any of the shows Mm -hmm. it took the shortest amount of time to to get through all the, the the swarming hand operatives but it was cool it was really fast furious and like quick that was so cool it really was absolutely yeah and more importantly after you get through the hand ninjas you obviously have the black sky arriving you have Electra arriving at the other end of the corridor uh, ready to face off against matt and um, not exactly the kind of moment i don't think uh, that would be the the kind of way that matt wanted to reignite his uh, his friendship or his relationship with Electra um, as she comes to attack him with her with her new awesome swords. No, just on the overall scene, it took me a second actually. So the first couple of the first like say forty five seconds, it looked like they were doing trying to do a single cut. 
they they were going and well let's say 30 seconds and then i started noticing they were cutting in in a very smart edit that made it like the, the person who's not studying the cuts and the the way they edit fights it does look like an almost singular up until where we where it actually comes in it looks almost like a singular kind of um take but then it breaks it really badly where it just flips that at the turns a corner and yeah. it's such a hard edit it just took me out of it okay to a degree just it was just literally i i can't remember who was someone was fighting at the corner like straight ahead and then at my like nine o'clock the the camera edits and it's supposed to look like it's just panning the corner so they can see the other what's going on the other side of the hallway beside the lift but it's just such a hard cut. I, I know what you're trying to do, and it would have looked amazing because it, it did feel like one large fight dynamic kind of edit that it kind of felt like, oh, you're spinning around everyone who was happening and all the different elements of the fight. Then the bit I loved was Matt, as you said, when Black Sky comes and you see Matt going, someone's coming. Or should I, I think it was something, someone's coming or should I say so, something? Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, it was just brilliant line. Yeah. yeah, like Matt has got his work cut out. Really uh, dealing with with Electra there. Mm-hmm. Um, like she she is like maxed out on the power bar at this stage. Really, <laughs> I th- I thought that was really cool. You got the sense that Matt was struggling against this opponent, uh, even though he was dodging as much as he can. But he got chucked through the the door. He got chucked against the wall. Like he was. It felt like he was really struggling, and I think that makes that's really good because you know he he has put the the mask into the chest for for a while, so he it's you know to an extent maybe he's a bit rusty as well. Uh, but like I, I really like the fact that there was a sense he was really having to like up his game and work a hundred percent more just to to really deal with Electra. I thought it was really cool after Danny basically comes in to save him really and uses the iron fist um what i really liked about this scene was not just the fact that danny destroys her sword um i loved how he pulls up matt at the end you know gives him the hand to to pull him up you know that kind of teamwork there already i thought that was a nice little uh moment just after that fight with electra yeah yeah, absolutely. I love that these characters haven't met each other before. There's no, there's no previous relationship between Matt and and Danny here, and Danny instantly comes in and saves Matt uh, when he's under attack. That's very cool. And yes, seeing the iron fist used to destroy an iron sword is very cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. A um, little bit about a uh, little bit of a weird moment with how far Electra flies backwards through a wall. I don't know. It seems like a very swift exit for her um, yeah. on, on a wire. Yes. It was almost like I understand they were trying to show that the the power of the chi smashed and obliterated the sword, mm-hmm. and then the force kind of threw her backwards. But you're right; it, it was a bit of a like I think what do they call them tug lines or something like that? Or yeah. yeah. Um, the one thing just actually with this fight I noticed, and especially with the with the part with the one on one on Electra, the comments I, I made on a previous podcast about how Daredevil now feels a lot more acrobatic in the style of fighting with the twisting and the flipping. And he, he did a lot more in this fight with the lecture. He's a lot more lithe, um, movable. Acro- acrobatic is probably the, the wrong word, but he's a lot, he, he moves a lot more. 
versus Without the armor, yeah. Where we've seen him in the first two seasons as that more vicious boxer takes the beating and gives out the pain style. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm kind of feeling uh, with the attack from Electra, I think he probably wants to put on that armored suit pretty quickly. That protected him from, you know, knives and everything uh, yeah, in, in Daredevil Season 2. So I'd say he wants to put that back on. Um, that's all of our five points for the episode. And I'm sure after the weekend, hopefully we've got some of some feedback in from our listeners that we'll be talking about. Even more of those moments uh, when we drop it in after the uh, after the weekend. But we have a few notes for the episode. And our biggest note for the episode is this is where we see our first Stan Lee cameo. Um, a big poster on the, on the street as Jessica's being followed by Matt, Matt Murdock. Um, a big poster on the street just caught it out of the corner of my eye. I had to rewind it a few times and, and make sure it was right. But yeah, this wasn't as big of a standout poster as we've seen in, in the other episodes before. It wasn't a big... Um, I think it was on the window in Luke Cage that you could see it as Luke was walking in, very defined in, in Daredevil. It had been on uh, on a wall in the precinct in the NYPD when and Matt went in. Um, but this is just a poster of, of Stan Lee. Genuinely, he's not wearing a police uniform or anything. So uh, so quite interesting. Maybe they just did that as, as a reference to his traveler that was in the uh, in the trailer that we saw at San Diego Comic-Con. Didn't seem to have anything else about it. No signage around it. No, no Stan Lee needs you for the uh, for the NYPD uh, but kind of cool to see that yeah definitely uh, when you told me about this easter egg i screamed because <laughs> typically i'm the one who finds finds these and i was like how did i miss that um yeah it's there and i'm wondering if it actually because it's very much a blinking you'll miss it one yeah. it's there for what like about five seconds on screen less it got me wondering if it's the actual main easter egg of Stan Lee that we'll get um, maybe it's not because typically it's the, Stan Lee is a police officer of some kind in this um, in this universe I'm wondering if it was just a nice hey like put his post poster there and then we'll actually no one caught it in editing or like it was a nice just a prop they put up mm-hmm. and there was going to be a proper cameo I'm hoping for a cameo but I don't think we'll get it I'm hoping it's more of a uh, a, a a, a proper big poster and hopefully we'll see it when the episodes actually come out on netflix we are watching screeners so it is possible that uh, that we'll see a better version of it when it comes out on the on the 18th of august yeah like i completely missed it uh first run through mm. but completely. we're all confirmed that i'm not wrong right no it was definitely <laughs> yes. there yeah, definitely it's, it's there. It is him. Yeah. cool good stuff line of the episode for me has to be jessica's line yeah. to matt um if you touch me like that again i'll punch you so hard you'll see uh, always, <laughs> always a cutting character, Jessica Jones. Uh, but that was possibly my favorite. I love her attitude towards Matt. I think it gives because, uh, like Matt, is so kind of you know in on himself um, and always concerned stoic. about something. He's always very stoic, but he's also like it's the guilt thing. You know, he's he's always turned in on himself uh, a bit. Uh, battling with his his contradictions and stuff and I, I love the fact that Jessica really just thinks he's a bit of a weirdo um really um <laughs> the way he does things uh, so yeah love this line and I, I think it really helps the Matt Murdock character for me um to have Jessica sort of just bouncing off him um yeah. I think it, it 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 almost gives a bit of levity to to Matt Murdock um, through Jessica, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Any other notes for the episode, guys? 
Nothing from me. I'm hoping we'll have more in the coming weeks. No, nothing from me. So then, Derek, do you defend this episode of Defenders? I don't normally score episodes of The Defenders. If I was going to, um, I'd probably go five out of five on this one, just because of the anticipation of two and a half years waiting for all these characters to get to, to get together and how well joined up the stories are Stories are of getting them to this point. Um, some great little moments in there. As I mentioned, the moments that really make you feel like you're in a Luke Cage uh, episode, some moments in there that makes you feel like you're in Jessica Jones's investigation room when she's finding out how to get uh, how to get in there, working with the architect, that kind of stuff. Very cool. But getting all of these four characters together at the end of the episode is what I'm here for. It's, so I have to give it a five out of five if I was going to score it. I'm not going to score in future because uh, everything else would be very difficult to score if you give a five out of five for an episode three of a show. But yeah, really, really enjoyed it. I absolutely defend it. Chris, do you defend episode three of The Defenders? I, I, I'm similar to you, Derek. I'm so happy about the way they've threaded two and a half years of a universe of a story four very different stories well five uh, if we count daredevil season two um with one overarching thread like the, the the world they're building here of the street level defenders i i'm so happy with the way it's being concluded it has not yet been fully concluded like this is the only the beginning of the conclusion we've got to watch episode four the way i'm seeing what's happening here is just the way they brought the the threads together the way it coalesced in that hallway scene starting with the heroes hire and then matt and jessica coming in and seeing the action and seeing the seasons hallway scene if you will and it's just overall i'm happy that i think Things can only get better, yeah. And uh, a similar view, like I wouldn't want to score it because then I would be having to turn everything up to eleven each additional week. Going, oh, this is eleven out of ten. This is twelve <laughs> out of ten. This is thirteen out of ten. Like it's just, it's no point because I know, and I hope that things will just get better. So, John, do you defend this episode of Defenders? I absolutely do defend this episode of The Defenders. Uh, yes, the coming together of this foursome is now concluded and we can see how they go forward. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got two scores here um, because I think it's appropriate for me to say that I would give this four defenders out of four. Mm-hmm. Full marks. Yeah. The more traditional scoring is I'm definitely going to give this five boardroom punch-ups out of five. Nice. Um, I've wanted to see these four characters together and see how they've done it, and I think how um, that's been done has been really, really good. And I really think that Alexandra is a worthy adversary to to these four. Um, as I say... That little touch of the hand on Danny Rand's shoulder, to me, along with her talk of uh, Byzantine delicacies past uh, and her training of the Black Sky, I, I think was really cool. And it set it really neatly um, against the four defenders, still slightly loose, disparate, having their challenges working in pairs up until the last moment um i thought it was really really cool and yeah i mean that fight scene at the end just had so much in it 
um, for me to just like absolutely feel like hooray you know they're together and just so happy and in addition yeah i love the dojo scene with iron fist and luke cage um i just thought it was a real nice nice scene uh, and how it kind of didn't pan out as you would expect it in, in that sense uh-huh. um and yet yeah, the wish of jessica always just you know in in matt's face all the time uh despite him just getting it off probably being arrested mm-hmm. uh, and so on uh yeah it's it's really really cool to see so yeah definitely i defend this episode so hopefully it is on to some feedback we will be putting in feedback here for episodes one to to three and of course as we move forward through the remaining five episodes uh, please uh, send through your feedback and thoughts on the defenders to feedback at defenders tv podcast.com or by leaving a voicemail over on our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com and clicking on the Send Voicemail button on the right-hand tab of the screen. And as we mentioned earlier on, if you send in any voicemail or feedback for this series of The Defenders, we'll, you'll be going into our prize draw for uh, some Defenders-related prizes. If you don't want to leave feedback uh, through the voicemail, you can, of course, come over to us on Facebook and join our group where we talk all the nerdy things about the Marvel Netflix universe so that's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash defenders tv podcast and yeah it's time for trish talk let's keep the conversation going i've got your thoughts next so the first weekend of release of the defenders is over and our first two episodes of the podcast are out there so that means we've got some feedback on the first couple of episodes of the defenders uh, first up michael booth says half an hour in pretty good so far biggest thing i've noticed is the color shift between characters it's cool stylistically especially with scorny weaver black and white but a little bit overbearing although the merging of the colors with the sirens and lights at the end was cool yeah absolutely the color palette here is really um very explicit for for all of the defenders and then obviously kind of that whiteness uh associated with sigourney weaver's character alexandra but but really nice i i know we um watched the first episode with someone who who hadn't ever seen um any of the previous series of uh, each of the individual defenders and she thought it was a really good motif just to kind of get you into to that zone um it also though really nicely reflects those opening credits which um to be honest i really adore uh, that coupled to the music i think is really uh, really awesome Absolutely. Kale Hensley says someone really needs to do something about the lighting in New York City. Uh, yeah, this was the scene uh, where Jessica Jones is outside one door as the lights are flashing in one place and Luke Cage is in another building completely in Harlem and the lights are flashing there as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely yeah. the lighting problems in New York. Yeah, there is some really dodgy electrics here in New York. Um, and I think in future episodes, there's some even dodgier sort of masonry work as well. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether that hand really needs to do anything to make new york crumble or whether it will turn to dust by itself (laughs) to be fair though they just did suffer an earthquake come on absolutely that is true ah no i'm not going to give them that debbie fisher says well i guess matt would show up first and i was wrong danny showed up first loved foggy's new haircut 
didn't mind seeing Danny and Luke shirtless. Loved seeing all the characters. Trish, Claire, Karen, Colleen, Malcolm and Misty in the first episode. Misty walking with Luke and, say, Luke and saying, Nights with the nurse. Hilarious. And yes, I noticed the colour differences too. And the merging of colours was really cool. And at the end, Electra. Yeah, so much going on in the first episode. You kind of forget that they had so much to cover uh, within that episode. But yeah, I think they did a great job. Yeah, although Michael Booth did say, I, I, I didn't like Corporate Foggy at all. He seemed to have lost his personality and was more business minion. Yes, I suppose uh, corporate work will do that to you. And then Robert Phillips says, I'm impressed with the back and forth again, you trio of heroes. One thing I'm, I'm more with Chris on was the disability narrative. Diddy talking of the need to get back a life for the lad in the chair. Getting life back implies living with a mobility aid like a wheelchair is not a life. It most certainly is a life. It may be difficult and different, but it's a life and it can be hugely fulfilling one. Ask Baroness Tanya Gray-Thompson, for example. Yeah, I think I, I know what you're talking about there, Robert. Um, I, my feeling on the episode and what was talked about on the podcast for episode one was kind of that Matt was saying to him he needs to sort out his own head about the situation that he's going to be in. Whether he gets his, he's able to walk again or not, he needs to sort out his own head was kind of the, the point we were talking about with, with regards to Matt's uh, discussion with Aaron in the first episode. Great, Robert. No, thank you so much for um, that feedback. I, I suppose there's a lot of angles on this, a lot of ways it can be taken, um, but I suppose I don't foresee that the writers meant any um, meant the way that potentially some people have taken it up, that obviously some people can imagine that DD is saying that there is um, no life without a wheelchair. But you're right. You're completely right that anyone still can go on to have a full and fulfilling life. And I think that's the core aspect here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's more that Daredevil is doing a prep talk because the kid is only just in the wheelchair. And for him at that moment in time, he's got to sort his his way of making and, and and building and fulfilling his life as you say robert over again it, it's been a step change in his life and he's now got to readjust and, and and move forward with that and i think that's where daredevil is saying get your head in that space to an extent Absolutely. Uh, Claire Payne says, a really good first episode. Like the individual character stories. Great opening with Danny and Colleen and great to see Iron Fist being used so quickly. Uh, very cool opening titles. It had a nice familiarity to it, uh, but with an exciting newness. Great to see Trish, Foggy, Karen and Misty within the episode as well. Thanks for that, Claire. Yeah, uh, Ronaldo goes on and says... Good intro with the first episode. I liked how everyone was well-balanced in the show and the colours for each character is certainly obvious. Maybe a little too much. What a way to open the series to, jam-packed with action. Can't wait for the Defenders to finally meet up. Impressed with how Jessica Jones' tone from her show is maintained for her arc here. Definitely. I, I think Jessica's tone is probably the most different, actually, of all of, of the Defenders. It, it, it's the one that is kind of uh, the opposite to the others to an extent, even though it's going for the same thing, i.e. helping other people. Um, but definitely love how her arc's maintained. And the colours, I, I, I think, um, yep, yeah, for me... I can see what you're saying about it them being a bit too on the nose with the colours, but I, I think for an intro episode uh, and potentially for an audience that 
hasn't followed any of the other series. Mm-hmm. It is a nice little motif just to be to identify the characters, definitely. We got two pieces of feedback about this, actually. Jeff Charles and Robbie both said uh, they enjoyed the first episode but found it quite slow uh, and weren't expecting with the season as short as this season for the episode to be very slow. Um, I don't know. I, I felt that, that there were four individual stories being told, plus a fifth, which is Alexandra's uh, introduction. And I can definitely say now at episode three that this series ramps up and gets much faster after the first episode. So setting up four characters of four completely different tones and four completely different shows into one episode. Maybe people were expecting them to kind of uh, jump together immediately, but I think the first episode is a lot of setup and needs to be, and then it starts to really ramp up after that. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, at the end of each of the individual series, I mean, in particular for Luke Cage, you know, there as far away from being together as you can possibly think of and danny's in uh, another part of the world so it's and both jessica and matt are in completely different headspaces as to uh, their experiences uh, with kilgrave and obviously with the death of electra and the loss of um, you know the closeness of that friendship with karen and, and foggy so um there needed to be some time where these got uh, to some extent resolved um, or at least recounted uh, over and I thought that was done really well for the first episode but it, it certainly I suppose yeah it, it makes it feel slower when thinking of trying to bring them together yeah yeah um, I understand where potentially Robbie and Jeff are coming from um, it is unique to any show on cable or on a streaming service to have five unique individual stories played out within 15 minutes mm-hmm. so if we think about it like everyone got about 10 minutes intro that yep. was it and that's a hard intro for producers and writers to introduce uh potentially someone who has not seen any of these episodes before absolutely so like these characters they're coming in fresh maybe they've heard of the like daredevil maybe they only watched season one uh maybe they've never watched that maybe they came in at luke cage because that brought them in like you still need to introduce these people but more importantly um which is the hard part about this is this storyline so far is tied intently to iron fist and the previous series um, so you have to also spend a bit more time on him and the characters and the, the storyline that has been introduced there. The thread through line, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah, it has to has to set everybody up and make sure that everybody knows where they are. I definitely had a discussion with someone in work about this uh, where she was saying that she gave up midway through Jessica Jones because she couldn't imagine Luke and Jessica not together because she knows the comic books and she just wants the two of them together. So she hasn't seen the rest of Jessica Jones, all of Luke Cage or Iron Fist for that reason. And is now coming back to Defenders because Luke and Jessica are going to be on screen together. So um, so it's quite interesting. There's also those people that need to be served who didn't go through Daredevil Season 2, don't know the whole, this whole story of the hand, don't know anything about Iron Fist. So you do need to serve that up. So you have the opportunity when you have an eight-episode series to serve up an episode which does tell those stories and then move on. So um, we're definitely at a much faster pace now. Uh, last piece of feedback on episode one comes from Conorman Stevens. He says, it's hype time with me. Uh, slow, but an incredibly done slow episode. Every character had so much behind their arc here, and it was built well from the previous seasons. Jessica is back in action, finding her feet again. Luke has returned to become Harlem's protector without doubt, or IP table. 
Danny has become the iron fist, but with guilt and everything he's suffered from the first season on top of him there. Love Colleen being such a big part of, of here too. And it was really nice seeing a more successful, lighter Matt. He won a case and helped people and Karen talked to him. Very nice confessional scene to set him up and his return to suiting up as well. And what a way to set up a villain. She shows immense power over everything, even Madame Gale, but immediately shows weakness and faults for her ploys throughout this season. It was so good. The director was well suited for this character-driven episode as well, working so well with every character, their distinct traits and constant cutting between. It wasn't amazing fight scenes, but the former point is far more important to this episode. director was especially amazing with Matt, though, at his world via hearing. Really well done. Hope she's on Daredevil season three. A lot of praise there for the director of episode one, S.J. Clarkson, um, who's worked on Jessica Jones, did two episodes of that show, and obviously did the first two episodes of, of this season of the Defenders. I totally agree with that, Connerman. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um, the pacing and the storyline-driven Jessica Jones episodes, which, not even that, Jessica Jones, if we think about it, is a lot more story narrative driven then potentially daredevil um and potentially luke cage and iron fist mm-hmm. whereas the other ones are more action orientated um we see like jessica jones the, especially the the threads there are a bit more pi driven sleuthing etc yeah so yeah like it makes sense to make this person who is used to narrative driven stories a main intro director and writer. I think she's really, really good, and I hope she's involved in all of the series. Like a lot of the, uh, a lot of the other directors have been uh, moving around and moving on to the defenders. I think she's got a great voice here, and I don't think she's just great with Matt. I think I just love Matt as a character, and I love that she handles him really well in this episode. But she also handles Luke. She also handles Danny and Jessica with the same kind of quality as if she dealt with them a lot in the past as well. So uh, I'd I'd be really excited to see her involved in all of the shows uh, coming up. I do think she's involved in Jessica Jones um, season two. I think Esther Clarkson's been confirmed for at least two episodes of season two of, of Jessica Jones, which she's probably working on right now. Yeah, thanks, Connorman. Uh, absolutely, completely agree with you there. Uh, I thought uh, S.J. Clarkson was really good with the direction here on this episode, uh, and, and it set the four up really nicely um, to to come together, uh, gradually coalesce um, in, in the next couple of episodes. Absolutely. Uh, On to episode two feedback. Ronaldo says episode two was amazing. It's ticking along nicely and loved the continued intros to supporting cast. The Luke and Danny fight was brilliant. Danny definitely fighting better in this show. And although I like them both, I cheered when Danny finally landed a good punch on Luke. So I'm going to come on this very quickly. Uh Uh-huh. At the end of Iron Fist season one, um, we kind of started commenting or I kind of brought up the point that... um, Finn Jones and the team themselves were slightly rust in production on this. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, they had, I think Finn Jones had six weeks. I think it was something like that from, um, from when he was cast to when he uh, shot the first fight sequence. Yes, there. exactly. So of course, if Danny's going to be fighting better. They all have more, had more time to learn the ropes, to figure out the action orientated sequences, and everything they need him to that. So I'm so happy that people now are starting to see Finn Jones. Um, for the potential that he has as a action kind of kung fu iron fist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I love the fighting here. I loved these two uh, fighting against one another, not really knowing who one another 
um, is and why they're there. You know, kind of both of them thinking maybe they're they're on the other side. Um, you know, they're part of the bad guys. And so I really like this. Yeah, the the land of that punch, absolutely fantastic. And yeah, you definitely see how good the Iron Fist is at fighting. You know, blocking uh, Luke Cage's punches and being able to just kind of dance around him here really um as well uh, again i think just the darker kind of tone that it's being shot in um really uh helps iron fist i think there's a real lot of darkness in in his storyline yeah uh, i think i made the point as well i think the music around him in this episode in particular uh, really gives a tragic quality to the acting that's done by Finn Jones. So really, really good in this, I think. In episode two, yeah, definitely. Uh, Carmen Stephen, back again for episode two, uh, says, sticks and stones may break your bone, but he's here. Get happy. Um, yeah, we got Stick back in this episode. Very cool. Uh, he says, I want to make a special mention of the soundtrack here. It may just be my favorite Marvel soundtrack so far. Compliments everything so well and so memorable. Uh, yet the... Uh, soundtrack was released on Friday uh, on Spotify, so uh, go have a listen. The soundtrack is awesome. I've been humming it constantly since the show came out. Um, he says the direction was stunning again as well with SJ Clarkson on board. She is a talent to behold. Everything here is impeccable, but the opening fight with Matt was everything. His arc here was my highlight too. I could say more of the characters, but it's guaranteed now every episode will be great with that. Definitely. I think the characters uh, are really being treated well here in in the script can't wait to see more and spoiler alert for episode three yeah it keeps getting better it does it does which is what we're on to now our episode three feedback um from our facebook group over the over the weekend if you want to join the facebook group just obviously go to facebook.com slash groups slash defenders tv podcast join us there we've got spoiler posts for each of the episodes so just pop in and, and leave your thoughts on whichever episode you'd like to as we go uh, michael booth starts us out on episode three yeah, I was a little worried that they were going to do a lot more Electra in this episode and leave us hanging on Matt and Jess meeting. Luckily, it was short and brutal. Luke and Danny's meeting was hilarious, though I thought Luke was a little unfair. Though, is that my white privilege showing? Question mark. The end fight scenes were really fun, even if it was super convenient that they all arrived in the building at the same time. The Mass Electra fight was awesome, but since she massacred a dozen sword-wielding ninjas, it's a little surprising that Daredevil did as well as he did. Yes, uh, thank you for that, Michael. Yeah, certainly um, Daredevil seems to be one up from the uh, ninja minions that the Hand brought out for uh, Electra. But I wonder if Electra was sensing in the same way that Matt was sensing that there was something there that was different or that there was some connection between her opponent and that maybe just put her off a bit plus matt ultimately was saved by the iron fist um coming in and destroying her weapon um yeah i i thought the i thought the discussion uh, that luke and danny had in the dojo um in relation to 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 white privilege i suppose um in that sense was really really good yeah i thought that there definitely needed to be um some discussion about the the privileged uh money uh and status of, of danny rand and i thought that was done really really well i and think it had to be luke that had that conversation as well yeah it 
played on so many levels as well and i thought it was really really needed and um, so great that they brought it in mitch evans went on to say what a fantastic episode seeing them all fight together and their different strengths and weaknesses is so much better than i had imagined i think they've nailed the series so far in culminating them all together the focus on danny round has made him instantly 10 times more likable and enjoyable to watch than the whole Iron Fist series allowed. Wow. Wow, that's a tough one. But anyway, let's move yeah, on. tough one. But I do agree with him. I said that in uh, the first episode of the podcast. I thought his treatment in that first episode, it was darker, it was more shadowy. Um, things fitted with his screen time with regards to the music really well, even with the, the PTSD aspects. I I think it kind of chimes more with kind of the latter half of the Iron Fist season where I think, um, you know, they really started to kind of get their groove on with the Iron Fist. Um, yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Thank Lewis, you, Mitch. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, Lewis Jesus says, uh, I love like Luke Cage and Iron Fist together. I know that it's probably not a big of a deal when during the last fight, but when Luke and Danny fight the hand at the end, the scene when Luke and Danny turn around ready to fight and Danny puts up his iron fist and Luke just looks ready for battle, have been cheering for them. So far, I really hope that maybe these two will cross paths in their seasons as heroes for hire. I think we're all hoping for that, Lewis. Thank you for that, Lewis. Yeah, I cannot agree with you more. I think seeing Luke and uh, Danny fight together there in the boardroom was just awesome. Uh, at the moment Luke protects Danny from the incoming bullets, I thought was awesome. And yeah, it was just great to see. And yeah, I'm really hoping that we get a spin-off uh, of a Heroes for Hire season that would just make me probably uh, wee myself with delight. Or imagine they just killed off Iron Fist at the end of Defenders. Oh my god, that would be horrendous. <laughs> Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And fellow Defenders, if you haven't seen the awesome artwork that Lewis Jesus did for us, um, go over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Defenders TV podcast. And our profile picture is some awesome artwork that Lewis drew of us with the Defenders. Yes, absolutely. I've got my Iron Finger going on. Thank you again, Lewis, for that. Absolutely. Thank you, Lewis. And uh, yeah, let's um, move on. Connorman Stevens came back saying, worst behavior or did you think starting a romance was easy? And uh, that's a good title. I have to give him that. He goes on to say, it was great. Lewis covered everything so great about the romance this episode above. Lead up to the fight scene was incredible. Everything about these first three episodes has been my everything. And Sticks' run into the start is hilarious. Um, yeah, we have to agree with that. He goes on to say, also, the white privilege discussion was actually quite well handled, and I liked it a lot. You gotta worry sometimes with a team of white writers trying to write about privilege, uh, but he bet slash hopes there was a lot of hands on board to help craft this message. And I agree with you, yep, yep. It's a, it was a good and well-handled piece. Yeah, I think John mentioned it earlier on as well, and obviously we mentioned it in feedback and in the episode as well. So uh, I just think it was really important for them to bring that in with Luke Cage because as a character, it's exactly the kind of thing the character would say. So I'm really glad they brought it in, as well as they did. Thanks to everybody for the feedback for the first three episodes of Defenders. Please send us in more. Our episode four of The Defenders will be out next week. All you need to do is email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Go over to our Facebook group or go to our website, defenderstvpodcast.com, and record a voicemail for us. We love voicemails. Yes, you can join our dulcet tones for The Defenders. 
And you won't have to listen to us read and bastardize your uh, message. You can say it yourself. Always a good thing. Absolutely. Thanks so much for all the feedback. But of course, this is a podcast, and like all good podcasts, we are on iTunes and any good or evil podcast catcher. So don't forget to come over and subscribe, rate and review at defenderscvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Or, as I said, any good or evil or should I say cast or hand-affiliated podcast <laughs> catchers. I said at the beginning of the episode, and I am that, I don't know, I want to say annoying TV advert guy who just constantly <laughs> asks for your donation. But please spread the love. Tell your friends, tell your grannies, tell your mothers, tell your sisters, tell your aunties, tell your uncles, and everything in between. Tell everyone you know. Share the love and share the defenders. So, of course, you have more people to talk to about this crazy little podcast. Yeah, come join us for this foursome of delightful treats. Absolutely. Yeah, we should be back with the next episode on Friday the 25th of August as we get into episode four of The Defenders. Looking forward to talking about that one. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Black Skies come to Dublin, lads, um, because we have got thunder and torrential rain here. I think <laughs> Electra's in town. Or the hand. We've got Black Sky. Mm-hmm. I think she might be. I hope we haven't... Uh had that on the podcast the whole way through that's a really some really really heavy rain thanks very much fellow defenders we'll talk to you next time yeah as always fellow defenders it's a pleasure speaking with you and we will speak with you again next time and in the immortal words of Scylla Black from Liverpool (laughs) in Great Britain ta-ta for now (laughs) bye But things break down, and the unbreakable skin from Harlem... Sorry, I just went cross-eyed there. (laughs) 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 That's what I did, and I suddenly lost the line. Oh, dear me. To go after those people at the top, you know, to, to just... Stop necessarily going after the the street level, the people who do all the cleaning up, the people that do all the the drug running, and that but that they can actually cut the snake off the head. <laughs> that they can actually cut the head off the snake, Sorry. so to speak. You know, just because you started mid sentence, can you level that? That they cut the snake. <laughs> this is like Wilson Fisk and all that, um, or Vincent D'Onofrio all over again. <laughs> That they cut the snake. (laughs) (laughs) This is our outtake. At least I can say Vincent D'Onofrio now. It's very impressive. Yeah. It only took you like, what, two and a half years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Constantinople.